0: Hey, hey, sweet friends. It's Andrea. I hope that you're doing really well today. Well, here we are. It's another Monday and it's time for another episode of Inspire On The Go. I hope that you are enjoying our sessions from Inspire Women's Conference. I hope that God is speaking to you and that you are really diving deep into the topic of pursuing God's vision and focus for your life. Today, we're going to talk about strategic community. And what a wonderful time to talk about community. Uh, We just celebrated, Easter. You know, many of us uh, were in churches. Many of us were celebrating with family. Many of us, after a long season of isolation, we were able to gather with other people and celebrate our risen Lord. And so this is a perfect time for us to talk about Gathering. It's a perfect time for us to talk about engaging in relationships. It's a perfect time for us to talk about um, celebrating life with other people. And so we are excited to welcome Abby Turner to the podcast today. Abby's going to talk about community first and how we can grow deeper with God um, through just intentionally pursuing relationships with others. I don't know if you're familiar with Abby or not, but you want to know this lady. She is awesome. I love following her on social media. She is is just beautiful. She is full of life. She is so much fun. So let me tell you just a little bit about Abby. She's a food blogger. She's a speaker. She's a writer. And she has a brand new cookbook out that's called The Living Table. So you want to be sure and pick up a copy of that. Today, Abby's going to talk about practical steps to implement community first mentality in our everyday lives and so you are going to be encouraged i think you're going to be challenged and i cannot wait to see what god has for us through this time together around the table around the word with abby turner so enjoy strategic community with abby turner
1: Hello, my name is Abby Turner, and if we have not met yet, I am so glad you are here and in this session, and I guess this podcast. Um, before we get started, I want to let you know a little bit about me. I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. I have two sisters. I graduated from OBU, and that's Washtop Baptist University. For those of you that might think that that's Oklahoma Baptist, but OBU, I'm a third generation Washita Graduate and very proud Tiger family. Um, I graduated with my master's in sports marketing um, from Baylor, and um, loved it. Worked in sports for seven six or seven years, college athletics, traveling all over the country, working in different universities. And it was at that point where I was working nine to five and then having games nights and weekends. And so I was just so lonely. I had a really hard time building community. So I turned to food. My mom told me that I needed to start cooking for people. So I started cooking for people and then they just started coming over to my house. So um, I decided at that point that I need community so bad, I was willing to change my career. So started working at Walmart in marketing And then I just had some free time that I had no idea what to do with. So I started a blog called A Tabletop Affair. If you're not following me on Instagram or Pinterest, Um, and now I'm a speaker, an author. I have my first cookbook coming out here in just a couple of days. And um, you can buy that cookbook. It's called The Living Table, Recipes and Devotions for the Everyday Get-Together. It's really broken up into different moments of life. So like coffee date or a brunch or you have a pool party or you want to do a movie night. What do you make for those things? So it's not broken up by appetizer or dinner or lunch or salad or drink. It is broken up by moment because sometimes We need inspiration around recipes. And then sometimes we need inspiration on just how to get together with people. What do I need to celebrate? So it brings moments. It brings recipes. There are devotions. There are seven devotions in the cookbook all around a different table that we see um, Jesus do ministry around and scripture kind of point us towards in building community, which is perfect for today's um, podcast around navigating all of life, the life stages by building strategic community. And so I'm thrilled to be here with you today virtually. I'm sad we're not in the same room, but this is good stuff and I'm glad that we are going to get to talk about it. So the podcast today, yes, is all about community. If you didn't get that, maybe you didn't read the content or the byline or you accidentally clicked the wrong podcast and you thought this was kind of the mommy podcast or... but. Well, let me tell you, I am 32 and single, so this is not that podcast, but I am so glad you're here, Um, and I want to encourage you that you are not ever intended, and we're not ever intended to go through life alone. God wants each of us to have thriving, edifying, life-giving relationships, and you should have an arsenal of friends, a tribe of people in your community building you up on a daily basis. So. If I'm, if I'm gonna be really transparent today. We are living in a society and at a time that is promoting individualism. We are busy and we're disconnected. We are spending our free time doing DIY projects, literally meaning do it yourself, and we're constantly trolling social media. And this really superficial platform causes us to be really overwhelmed and extremely detached. So I, I want, I want to ground ourselves in some data points, some research, so that we know that we're not alone. Data really helps me understand kind of the society and the culture we're living in so that I can better pinpoint ways that the enemy is trying to lie to me so that I can, in return, fight that. And I've got scripture and I've got um, God on my side to fight that and I know exactly what I'm fighting. So loneliness has reached Epic proportions. This is not just a, uh, a just hey, we should watch out for this. This is a red alert. Loneliness is taking a toll on the human race. It's actually causing a health epidemic, cardiovascular problems, premature death, stress, sleep deprivation. They are all being linked back to loneliness, guys. And that is huge. I don't know if you know what happened in 2020 and now is still going on in 2021, but we are more isolated now than ever. I can tell you and I can attest I am single living alone in an apartment and it is, I'm crazy. I'm going crazy. Um, I have my Google Home talking to me on a two hour and two hour intervals just so that somebody in my home is talking to me. um, So Forbes did a study on millennials and Gen Z and just where we are as, as a population and Really side note, I digress because TikTok. Um, But millennials is becoming a derogatory term, Uh, isn't everything. But it is becoming less and less politically correct to identify somebody by their generation, which is crazy. But 54% of Americans in this Cigna survey revealed that they are not known and they feel lonely or left out. 54%. And I would say that that is really low. Um, I would love to say that it's closer to 70%, 80%. I think if they did that again um, in the last 18 months, I think that they'd see that that has increased. But it's not just people around 36. It's not just, or under 36. So that Cygnus survey was people under the age of 36, but 47% of people over 65 considered TV or their pet their main source of company. Wow. When we look at this trend in living alone, we see this like upward curve worldwide up until about the 1960s. These single person households, like the apartment I'm living in, were really rare. But in the last 50 years, and I would even see in the last like 20 years, it's gotten even more, but it has doubled in the last 50 years. So it's gone all the way up to the top. So now it is the second most common household type behind empty nesters. So these baby boomers that no longer have have kiddos. Well ahead of married couples with minor children. I think they clocked in at like four or five. So when we're putting all of our effort into these married couples with minor children in these family units, they make up a good portion of our population. But there is so much of our population that is doing life alone. And we've got to call that out. We need to be the church and we need to rally around those people because loneliness is the number one fear of people under 40. It's not losing a job or death. It is loneliness. We have an obligation. We have a calling. We have a directive from God to be good stewards and to serve his people and to love others and to show hospitality. All of those are directives from scripture. And if we're not doing that, well, we're not glorifying God well. We aren't loving his people well. We live in a world where communication has really never been easier. I mean, if you think about it, the more communication avenues, the more communication channels we we've got, the less connected we become. Interesting little fact, loneliness is a pain that is triggered by the same part of your brain that is triggered when you step on a Lego on the floor. It's not cured with medication. You don't put ointment on that. You don't take a Tylenol. Well, maybe you take a Tylenol, but loneliness is cured with friendship. Just like Lego is cured. uh, When you step on a Lego, your foot is cured with a little TLC, just rubbing it out. Friendship is is something that Jesus models throughout the New Testament. In fact, heard a, I heard a pastor say one time in the Old Testament, God gave us marriage to deal with and to fight off loneliness to, as the provision for, for loneliness. But in the New Testament, the Lord sends us the Holy Spirit and he gives us the church. So we should be prioritizing what friendship looks like. We need to be protecting this, this relationship. Jesus did the majority of his life with people day in and day out. I mean, it was the first thing he did when he started his ministry is he found his tribe of people. But it's not enough to just to do life with people. We need to have these interconnected relationships, these woven relationships. We need to be consistent in each other's lives and grow a community because that is how our brains were built to function. So if you're taking mental notes and... And, and and you're, you're maybe your bullet pointing down on on a notepad um, I want you I want you to write this down while we might not get to choose what we go through in life or the path that we take, we do get to choose who we go through it with. When you are playing the game of tennis, there is a penalty for. Coaching during a tennis match. So, when you are in the game, you cannot, or in the match, you cannot be coached. You cannot get encouragement. You cannot get, oh, good job. You can't get pump up. You can't get direction. You don't have anyone there doing it with you. You go through it alone. On the flip side, in fighting, and yes, I'm using sports examples because I love sports so much, but in fighting, you know, you're in the ring. I don't know if you'll watch fighting. Probably. But if you are in the ring, they are throwing punches. But then you get to go back to your corner. You get to go back to your coach. You get to go back to your tribe of people that are that are helping you out. And they get to pump you up and encourage you and give you direction and and tell you which way to go and watch out for the left hook and I'm using words I don't know right now. <laughs> but it's it's fun because they have a team they have their tribe to encourage them and then they they go back into the ring that is that is how God wants us to live life we're not meant to do it alone you are meant to have a corner to go back to to have a tribe of people encouraging you and lifting you back up so when you get back in the fight, you are ready. I don't care what season of life you're in. We all need these friendships. Whether you're 60 and have given up on having a tribe of women because you've been hurt by community or friends or or the church. Or you're scared to put yourself out there. Maybe you're just in a weird place. You're in this phase of life that you don't feel like anybody understands. And... Um, you don't you don't think anyone really gets where you are or what you're going through. But I want to encourage you, friends. God has given us so many blessings in this life. And one of those is community. And now we're going to get to the topic for today. But I wanted to ground ourselves in where we are as a culture in order to see the importance of community. So the topic for today, the one that I signed up for, navigating every phase of life with strategic community. Wow, what a big topic. So I work in corporate America, therefore I use words like strategic and I'm going to continue using weird words but i hope they make sense. So, here we go. Community encourages us to put God first. I don't know if you have ever been with a group of people but if you are selfish and demand to be first or the center of attention, people get turned off really fast like you do not want to be around those people. But have you ever been with someone who is so positive, so solution-oriented, collaborative, kind? There I go with my corporate terms again. But you know what i mean. They they have all of these fruits of the spirit. They're the people you call. They're the ones you want at your table when you're going through something. They are your besties for the resties because they are glorifying God by putting you first. That's the message of community. I know community is messy and really complicated sometimes. I mean, we are women and we're human. But if you feel like something is missing when you're going through life, I promise it is. Now, yes, God meets our every need and is always there first and foremost, and he is the priority. But have you ever stopped and thought about how God has provided for you through someone? Encouragement, food, a listening ear, a meal, feedback. I mean, I want to challenge you to look at your community or maybe your lack thereof community. I'm a really passionate person. My voice gets really high pitched and loud, and I use my hands and my eyes. And in some, in some eyes, in some points in my life, it's really been defined as pushy. Um, if we were if we were together today, you would see me like moving around the room, probably like jumping up and down. I'm like very passionate, but perspective. Takes passionate to pushy or pushy to passionate. So it's just like perspective, right? But one of the things I'm like really passionate about is this table. Um, It is the piece of wood or metal or plastic that sits about 42 inches high. And some of us eat at it a lot and some of us not so much. Um, And for some of us, maybe the table holds bills or laundry or soccer shoes, but we don't ever really sit down and eat at it. We eat on the go in the den, around the TV. But did you know that a lot of people don't have a table, let alone sit and eat at it? I mean, we have traded our 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 TV or our tables for TVs and sofas. and we have really removed dining rooms and turned them into bonus rooms, game rooms, or even an open floor plan. Thanks, Chip and Joanna. (laughs) But we've ignored this most important piece of furniture in the entire home, this table. Um, The table was the first piece of furniture God instructed man to make after he, God instructed us to make the Ark of the Covenant. So make the Ark of the Covenant. After you do that, I need you to make the table. So it's like, I need you to make an Ark of the Covenant so that you can come and you can, can sit with me and talk to me. But In order to sit with me and talk to me, I want you to sit and talk to me around a table. And so, I mean, not only did he instruct us to make the table, it was also the last thing that he ate around with his disciples the night before he was taken to be crucified. And in Revelation, it tells us that God has prepared the table so that we can sit at it with him. He is ready for us to come and sit with him at the table. And there's even research to show that when you eat around a table, it causes like a neuron pathway thing to happen in the brain and makes us slow down and reflect. I mean, did you know that only one in five families eat dinner together each week? Only one in five. But saying all of this at some deep level, we are drawn to the table. We are drawn to sitting together with people. I love this communal table phenomenon. If you um, know anything about it in some larger cities in really urban restaurants they are not only having like two top tables or the bar seating but they are having these big tables that seat 12 and 16 and if there's an open seat you can have it so even if you come alone you're not dining alone you're dining with others you don't have to talk to the random people that are sitting around you but it's a subconscious I'm not alone Feeling of connection that it provides. And I think that's that's so important, and we can't forget that because it's literally how God designed our brains to function. He designed us to have community with other people and desire community with other people. But the flip side to that is that we have been trained to think that hospitality can only happen when we have a home a husband two and a half kids and a dog but listen to this the two women that always get brought up in church when discussing hospitality are who say it with me mary and martha and guess what studies suggest theologians suggest that they were single now they show both sides to hospitality sides that we we need to have and both sides we we need to work on diligently we can't have one without the other but on one hand you have the keeper of the home the martha stewart and on the other hand you have mary the encourager and the communicator and if you're into enneagrams she is probably a four loves the people but you can't work on the sides of hospitality without being hospitable, without opening your home or cooking, potlucking, preparing for people to come in. And maybe you don't have a home with a table. Maybe hospitality for you looks like getting people together at the coffee shop or around a coffee table or at a, a table at your local restaurant. I mean, Hebrews thirteen two says don't neglect showing hospitality. And if you're going to neglect something, that means that you have it. You can't neglect something that you don't have. Um, and so, yes, we have learned that hospitality is a spiritual gift. And while I wholeheartedly believe that, I also believe that it is is—it is something, a desire in us to serve others. As believers, we are called to show hospitality and be a good steward and love others, serve each other. And we can't do that if we are neglecting hospitality. Now, I also hear on the flip side, nobody's going to come to my house because it's dirty or they won't eat my food. Let me tell you something. People show up for home-cooked, a home-cooked meal. The first meal I ever made at a dinner party was cheese tortellini, and it was not a dinner party. I say that, and that is not It was three people around a two top table we were crammed but tortellini yes already has cheese in it it was not a good recipe it did not make it in my cookbook little plug for the cookbook remember it's coming out in a couple of days so if you want to pre-order you can on amazon or you can wait till it comes out it's walmart target amazon barnes and noble so um or follow me on A Tabletop Affair, and I am sure that I will have some copies that I can I can um, send your way. But practicing hospitality is biblical, and it's directive. I mean, Paul says in Romans 12, 13, practice hospitality. Peter repeats him in 1 Peter 4, 9, do it without complaining. Be prepared for God to show up and work. And when we practice hospitality, we are doing just that. We are putting ourselves in a posture of obedience to allow God to move through our serving of others. When Paul when Peter says in four and nine, do it without complaining, it takes me back to the the story in Luke four. I think it's thirty eight through forty, something like that. When Peter invites Jesus over, and his mother in law is sick in bed if you are a mother-in-law pay close attention (laughs) um so peter says hey bringing jesus over can you can you cook for us and she's like i'm sick and jesus goes back and heals her and she scripture says she immediately starts serving them don't miss this guys that peter's mother-in-law was ready to serve you can't go from being on your deathbed to serving others if you're not prepared She was ready to be hospitable and welcome people into her home. She was ready, and because she was ready, she served Jesus. She was able to open her home to allow the maker of the universe to come in. Don't be complacent. Be prepared. If Peter's mother-in-law had spent time complaining about cooking and saying, oh, I'm sick, woe is me, she would not have been ready for God to work. If you sit there and you mourn your singleness or your loneliness, you mourn the life you wish you had, you'll never be prepared. I'm convinced, convinced that hospitality is the is one of the most important spiritual, not gifts, but disciplines that we can cultivate. We can't just sit idle on the sidelines of our own lives waiting for this perfect house or family or partner to be hospitable with. In the fast-paced, very tech-saturated, really ADHD culture that we live in, We as Christians need to recover the art of a slow meal around a table with people we care about. And I'm convinced that food is God's love language. Think about all of the times that he chose to use food to tell a story or paint a picture. The apple, the manna, the fish, the loaves. I mean, we even have the Daniel diet. Food is laced throughout scripture and is important, guys. But the complexity of it is not. It's the having it that is the important part. Feed them and they will come. I, I, I promise that's in the forgotten scripture of the book of Martha. I mean, if she were to write a book of the Bible, it would say just feed them and they'll come. So I promised that before you left, you would know how to navigate each phase of life with strategic community and that having community... This community first mentality would help you grow deeper with God to see his vision for each season of your life and that by doing it, you would bring glory to God through serving him first. Oh, I don't know how I signed up for that, but here are three steps. I'm a good Baptist girl, so we're going to have three steps to doing that. Number one, your community must be centered around the right thing. Luke twenty three fifty five. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. The resurrection took place in Jerusalem. These women, it says, were from Galilee. What does that mean? I mean, that is so easy to skip over. It's easy to skip over dates. It's easy to skip over lineage. But there is something so solid and so good about that. Galilee is 70 miles from Jerusalem. A determined person, that is someone that has like got a lot of gumption, could do that in six days. So these women were real serious. But the important part was that they were brought together by Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus so bad that they decided to take a six-day hiking trip. If you look at your community, you can identify what brought you together. But if you want community that helps you on your faith journey, that edifies you, fills your cup, builds you up, encourages you, you need to surround yourself with people that are like-minded. Not perfect, but people that will help you find the answers that you need. Remember, I just said they're not perfect people. We we are human. We will fail. But we need people that will help us find the God-given, scriptural-based answers that we need. Community doesn't just need to be founded on the right things. It needs to be formed before the roller coaster begins. These women from Galilee didn't create their girl gang at the cross. They didn't create their girl gang on the road, the six day hiking trip to Jerusalem. They had been together for a while. In fact, if you look at Luke 8, 1, I'm going to read it here. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him. Verse 2, along with some women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and their disciples. When Luke first introduces us to them, they had just been healed together in Galilee. Jesus had healed them. That's what they had in common. That's what brought them together, and that's what... That's where life started for them. They began doing life together. So let's go back to Luke 23. It says, As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. They stayed together because they had been together. Women stick together. The women were together like, where were the disciples? They had gone all their separate ways, but the women had created this bond. When there is a crisis and your community is founded in Christ, you rally. You don't have to go at it alone. Have you ever seen a group of women rally when there's a crisis? I mean really cool thing to see people can make fun of casseroles all they want but when there's a crisis we eat them and you know women we show up with them (laughs) there's nothing better than having that tribe of women there when you need them my grandfather passed away a decade or so ago and I find myself identifying with my grandmother a lot I'll have a hard day at work or about with loneliness I'll call her and I'll say okay um all I need today is a hug and I have no one. You see she identifies with that because for 60 years she had a hug, 70 years, she 80 years, she had a hug when she needed it and she sees the importance of that hug. And she reminds me so tenderly, Abby reach out and ask for the hug. You see I I have friends and I built that community before the roller coaster began, before that bout of loneliness began, and because I did that, I have a great source of community, so when I reach out and say i need a hug. It almost feels like they were sitting on my front porch with how fast they come over. And they don't just come over with a hug. They usually come over with an Andy's brownie sundae or a Starbucks peppermint mocha latte. I mean, a hug was bu- good, but a hug and Andy's or a hug and Starbucks, that's a tribe of women you want around. That is God providing, that is God blessing you, that is God just putting his hand of mercy. On you. If I surround myself with the right type of people, God's God provides for me through them. Number two, build your community on grace, not on perfection. We've touched on this a little bit. We are not perfect people. But we need to be fruit of the loom church. We need to be built on grace and love and not on perfection and judgment. Pew Research did a, a study on declining church attendance and, and found that 60% of Americans believe that Christianity is judgmental and hypocritical. Now I talk about rebranding all the time. I think we need to rebrand Valentine's day. I think we need to rebrand all of these things. We need to rebrand Christianity guys. We need to be the church that serves and loves no matter who you are, because we need a community built on grace not on perfection. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have got to stop judging one another in love with grace. When we do that, we glorify God. We create a servant posture so he can use us. We are are literally putting, putting ourselves in this posture of obedience. So how do we create this type of community? There are three C's I want to talk about. Comparison, competition composition comparison we are constantly comparing ourselves to others you need to stop this i saw this meme recently and i loved it how true is this if we think about our community as a garden each of us look different grow different taste different etc and that is okay we need to let god use us how he created us to be used i'm a big cook a potato is not the same thing as a mint herb They both grow out of the ground, but they look completely different and do something completely different. But I need them both. I need the mint in my iced tea. I need the root veg or I need the potato. I need that as a really nice hearty starch on the side with butter on top. Okay, the next C word, compete. When we compare, we begin to compete naturally. We look at each other. We start categorizing who's the best, the cutest, the most put together, the best parent. You name it, we compete. And we get so tired of playing these games that then we retreat. We just kind of step back. I'm not going to be the best. I can't. I can't compete with this. I, I, I am comparing. I'm competing. I'm retreating. Guys, put it down. We need to build our community on grace, not on perfection. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe women have betrayed you and you just checked out. Your community let you down. They gossiped about something in confidence that you told them. We give up and then wonder why we're lonely. Yes, we must be on guard. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. In the 8th century BC, when King Solomon wrote, Guard your heart, the word he used for guard is mishmar, which is the act of guarding something closely, like a guard would stand on a fortress and ward off the enemy as he approached. So if we are diligently guarding our hearts and our minds, Much like a soldier would guard a fortress, we allow sin to creep in. We start to compare. And when we compare, we naturally start to compete. We doubt. And when we doubt, we retreat. And when we retreat, we are literally manifesting loneliness. However, in order to reap the benefits and the blessings of community, do we have to risk betrayal and disappointment in relationships with others? Absolutely. Can we get hurt? Absolutely. But if you build your community right, the reward is so much greater than the risk of not having it. The last C is when we compose a life that is not true. We are living in a time where we are creating a highlight reel on social media where everything is okay. Nobody gets to see the authentic and transparent us. A different persona is created where people really don't have to know what's really going on with your marriage or your anger or your eating disorder or your kids or your loneliness. First John 1, 5 through 8 i I'm going to read this really quick. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. Verse 6, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Verse seven, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Finally, verse eight, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. How can your community encourage you if they don't know what you're going through? How can they edify you when you doubt what God is doing? And how can they pray for you when you are walking through life's valleys? It's not about just having community. It's about being honest with your community, knowing they aren't expecting perfection, but they are the ones that are providing grace. Because remember, God is is providing for you through them. When you bring your life into the light with the right people, founded on honesty and grace and built on Christ Christ. You're going to find true community, and that community is going to edify and encourage and build. It's going to love hard, and it's going to laugh hard, and it's going to cry hard. It's going to rejoice with you, and it's going to weep with you. That is the type of community that God desires each of us. And I promise, pray for that kind of community, and God is going to provide it. But you have to be ready and prepared to open your door and to sit at the table with them. We have to put ourselves in this posture of obedience to find community. Okay, number three, community helps you walk through each phase of life. For just a moment, I'm going to speak to the singles that are listening. And for the women that are married and have kids, maybe you even have grandkids, take note. Because there are probably singles in your life that you can encourage But I speak to the singles now because in the church, we get overlooked. We are in a forgotten category. Just like widows, just like single parents, there are more groups of people than your big five. And you know what I'm referring to, the comfort zone, the kids, students, young adults, marrieds, and seniors. As the world has gotten more connected and more diverse, so have the demographics, the categories. We need to put aside the traditions of groups and really transform our way of thinking rebrand our way of thinking there i go with my corporate talk again but we can do it if we come to the table and it is so important that as singles we don't lose sight of hospitality we don't lose sight of community and and god's desire For community for us. Remember that word wait, wait expectantly. Listen to the wooing of the Lord. Well, what if he wants to woo you at a dinner party? What if he wants to begin blessing you for serving others by opening your home? We can't just sit and be restless. We need to be active in searching for God and what he wants to teach us. Endurance is this product of doing something to exhaustion, but it's the endurance that keeps us going. So we need to keep learning and keep growing and keep developing this hospitality because being around the table with people is how God designed our hearts to be filled. So in this time of waiting, we need to wait expectantly. We need to wait with action, not wait with inaction, not be complacent. Not use this as just idle time waiting for the next moment. Not to be impatient, but to be patient and and see what God's doing behind the curtain, behind the timeline. So how did God fill his disciples' hearts that last night in Jerusalem? He fed them around a table with food and with love and conversation. And it is so important that no matter what phase of life you're in, we must come to the table. And as I've been nurturing this concept for a while now, singleness and hospitality, I've done a lot of research. And did you know that stemming from the Bible, there are very few people that talk about hospitality when you're single? But exercise that. Spend time with older women, learn from them, spend time with younger women, co ed. College kids, practice on them. Hospitality crosses generations and barriers, ethnicities, stages of life. But because you didn't grow up with someone who cooked in your family, you never learned, maybe you don't enjoy being in the kitchen or you don't have time, you can still impact the kingdom around a table. You can pick up my cookbook. (laughs) My blog is full of them. My Instagram I have a weekly Instagram T V where I talk about ten minutes on, on how to make a quick recipe whatever the recipe is that week we as I close this out we need to be navigating every phase of life so that we are building strategic community that is that is based on grace and not perfection don't compare don't compete don't compose a specific persona of yourself be authentic because true authenticity, that's what God wants us to bring to the table. That's what builds strong community. And at the end of the day, those are going that's going to be your tribe that sticks that sticks with you, no matter what phase of life, no matter what roller coaster you're on. Our community has must be centered around the right thing. Yes, we have friends all over the place and all different in all different things that we are involved in, whether it be work or church or kids' extracurricular activities like sports. Um, But your true tribe is going to be like-minded. They are going to make scripture-based decisions. And at the end of the day, they are going to be the ones that rally and edify you and biblically invest in you. No matter what age you are, no matter what phase of life you were in, no matter what has happened before today, you can use today as a starting point. You can use today as a point to go deeper with your community, but take the first step and open your door, have the posture of obedience to sit around your table and make a meal and really love others and glorify God. Because at the end of the day, that is what biblical hospitality means. It is pointing people back to God. So friends, I hope you learned something. I hope that you are encouraged and you know that you were not meant to do life alone. That you have a very, very big church family that is rallying behind you that wants you to have a community a tribe of of people that are encouraging you and lifting you up daily. You can find me over on a Tabletop Affair on Instagram, on Facebook. DM me. I love to hear from you, and I would love to see all of your um, your hospitality moments. I would love to see your community getting together around a table um, and and serving and serving food. Loving each other while glorifying God. Have a blessed day.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Inspire On The Go. I want to extend a special thank you to Abby Turner. Wow, what a great encouragement for us to continually pursue community. I know you're going to want to connect with Abby on social media. If you're on Instagram, give her a follow at, at a Tabletop Affair. You're also going to want to pick up her cookbook. It is beautiful. It is vibrant. It is full of wonderful recipes and wonderful ideas when it comes to community, and the cookbook is called The Living table. So you can find that uh, online and you can connect with Abby on social media and be sure and order a copy of that. Uh, thanks again for, for you know following along here on Inspire On The Go. We want to encourage you to continually um, share this uh, podcast with your friends, invite more people uh, to the journey as we really talk about this year how to pursue a God-sized vision and focus for life. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.